Welcome to Christmas Sunday. I'm Pastor Dan, for those who don't know me, and uh, I welcome you, especially visitors. My title is God's Christmas Gift to You. My text is the Gospel of John, John 3.16. You'll find that title, the text, and the outline in the bulletin for your easy reference. Let's prayerfully consider and ask the Lord to anoint and to oversee this service. Psalm 19.14 states, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. You know, Christmas is a wonderful time of the year. It is a time when it seems that the entire world is transformed as people consider what happened on that first Christmas night. It is a time when families gather together. It is a time when we stop and reflect upon all of the blessings that God has bestowed upon us. It is a time when we remember that greatest blessing of all, that God in the person of Jesus Christ transcended time and space and came into this world to be our Savior. The boys and girls are excited. Moms and dads are busily getting everything ready. The tree is trimmed and the stockings are hanging. You know, one of the most enjoyable parts of of Christmas is the giving and the receiving of gifts. And people must enjoy giving gifts because they wouldn't brave the crowds and the weather and the traffic and stand in long lines in order to buy gifts for one another. Of course, now the Internet has simplified that, or in some cases, it has complicated it. Well, I want to share this morning with you God's Christmas gift to you. And what a shame it would be if you left unwrapped and unreceived that wonderful gift that God has for each in every person. You know, the Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, wrapped up in this one verse is the whole story of Christmas. Someone has said that if every other passage in the Bible were thrown away and only John 3.16 were available, there would still be enough gospel to save the world. You know, there's enough truth in that verse to fill a thousand sermons. This is surely the greatest verse ever penned. All other great writings of of the poets and sages of all of the world fall short of that one sentence. This verse has been called the gospel in a nutshell. It is and has been called the world's greatest love story. It has been called the gospel of Christ in one sentence. But at Christmas time, I call it God's Christmas gift to you. I want you to allow me to share an expanded and amplified version of John 3.16. I actually shared this at New Hope Chapel 10, maybe 12 years ago. Listen, John 3.16, God, the greatest being, so loved 
the greatest emotion. The world, the greatest number that he gave, the greatest sacrifice. His only begotten son, the greatest possession. For whosoever, the greatest invitation, believes in him, the greatest plan of salvation, should not perish, the greatest condemnation, but have everlasting life, the greatest hope. You know, this morning, I want you to notice several things about God's Christmas gift to you. I want you to notice first in your outline the cause of this gift. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave. You know, sometimes we give for different reasons. Certainly because we love. But other times, sometimes we give for appearance sake. And sometimes we give a gift to a person because that person gave something to us. But why did God give his Christmas gift to the world more than 2,000 years ago in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because of the love of God. I want you to know this morning that God loves you so much that Jesus is God's gift, love gift to you. And the only reason that God gave is because he loves You see, the verse doesn't say God loved, but that God so loved. How great is the love of God? How much was so? How many worlds did God take into his arms? How many sins did God forgive? How many people did God love? How many lives did God envision changing and blessing? Listen, God's love is unsurpassed. He knows no bounds. No water can quench it. No tongue can explain it. A man says to a woman, I love you. That means something. But when he says, I love you so much, that means something different. The Bible says that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. Words fail us. When we try to describe the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of God. See, God's love is unending. The love that the Bible talks about in Jeremiah 31.3 states, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. There has never been a time when God did not love you. There will never be a time when God will cease to love you. Human love is fickle and changing. But God's love never changes. And as I read the Bible, I find that love to be the supreme and dominant attribute of God. Never question God's great love, for it is as unchanging a part of his nature as is his holiness. The Bible says that God is love. Before the morning stars of the world sang together, before the world was baptized with the first light, before the world brought forth the first tender blades of grass, God was love. It was love that moved God to speak the stars into being and to adorn the night. It was love that ignited the sun to give us heat and light by day. It was love that inspired God to fashion rivers teeming with fish and forests abundant with rich fruits. It was love, the love of God, which gave man the privilege and preference when he said, 
of every tree of this garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat. For the day that you eat thereof you shall surely die. Because Satan had contaminated one tree in the garden and its fruit. It was the love of God which was so concerned with man's welfare that he carefully marked the only danger spot in that exquisite garden and love. And in love, God warned man not to partake of that tree. It was love which moved God to seek out man after man made that failing blunder and had eaten of the tree in spite of God's warning. It was love which made God in tones of disappointment cry out, Where are you, Adam? It was love. The love of God which stood over Sinai and put into Moses' hands the Ten Commandments. It was love which caused God to engrave those laws on the hearts of all people. It was love that could see through the centuries that man was incapable of being what he ought to be without the help of God, that love promised a Redeemer who would save his people from their sin. And it was love, the unerring love of God that brought these prophecies into precise fulfillment. On a specific day marked on the earth's calendar, at a specific place marked on earth's place, map, the Son of God came to this planet. It was love that prompted the Son of God to have the same affection for this world as God the Father and to show a selfless compassion for the sick, the distressed, and sin burdened. And it was love that caused and enabled Jesus Christ to become poor so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. It was love, the love of God, that made him endure the cross, despising the shame in order that we might be redeemed from sin. It was love that restrained him when he was falsely accused and led to die on a hill between common thieves. It was love that kept him from calling 10,000 angels to destroy the world and to set him free. It was love which caused Jesus in a moment of agonizing death on the cross to pause and give life to a repentant sinner who cried, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And it was love that with every known torture devised by degenerate men and heaped upon him caused Jesus to lift his voice with the last bit of mortal energy and he prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In Genesis, through the Bible, on through Revelation, from earth's greatest tragedy to earth's greatest triumphs, the dramatic story of man's lowest depths and God's greatest heights can be summed up into 25 beautiful words. John 3.16 All of our preaching must contain the love of God. For that is the message of the Bible. The Bible is revelation of the fact that God is love. When we preach justice, it is justice tempered with love. When we preach righteousness, it is righteousness founded on love. 
And when we preach atonement, it is atonement planned by love, provided by love, given by love, finished by love, and necessitated because of love. When we preach the resurrection of Christ, we are preaching the miracle of love. When we preach the return of Christ, we are preaching the fulfillment of love. The love of God is unsurpassed, and love of God is unchanging. And then the love of God is unconditional. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. It isn't hard to love some people. Some people are naturally loving. They have loving ways, loving dispositions, and loving personalities. But there are others who are unattractive, vile, repulsive, and unloving. All of us are in this last category in God's sight. The Bible declares all we like sheep have gone astray, yet God loves us unconditionally. Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, when I think of how God loves us in spite of our failures, I'm led to agree with the hymn writer who wrote, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean. It is an unconditional love. Hallelujah. We have a God who loved us when we were sinners. The Bible says that while we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. God's love is unconditional. Even if we say, I wouldn't have him if I could, God says, I love you. Even if you say, I'd rather have the devil, God says, I love you. Even if you say, I'll live my own life, God says, I love you. See, God said, I love you and I have a Christmas gift for you. And the cause of that gift is love. God so loved the world And that love is unsurpassed. It's unending and unconditional. God loves you so much that he provided for you a wonderful Christmas gift. Second in your outline, consider the cost of this gift. When you buy a Christmas gift, you always consider the cost. In the Bible, it says that the cost of God's Christmas gift to you and to me was his only begotten son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. People will spend hundreds and hundreds and thousands of dollars during this season on gifts, but no gift can ever compare with the cost of your salvation. For us, salvation is free. It is the gift of God. It's already paid for. But salvation was not cheap. Salvation cost God his only begotten son. You cannot begin to imagine the suffering, the pain, and the anguish that Jesus bore for us at Calvary. Everything that sin cost, Jesus paid at Calvary. All of the vile, cruel, filthy sins of all of mankind, of all of the ages, were laid upon him. And as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
Rough soldiers took him from that place of prayer and dragged him from one unjust trial to another. And then Pilate commanded him to be beaten. Most men would die from such a beating alone. The Roman soldier took the cruel whip with the bits of bone and metal at the end of leather tongs and he laid it across the back of Jesus again and again and again. Then they put him upon the cross upon his shoulders, the cruel, rugged cross. He was forced to carry that cross down the cobblestone streets of old Jerusalem, outside the gate, up Golgotha's hill. They laid the cross on the ground and put the suffering, emaciated body of the Lord Jesus Christ upon that cross. The burly soldier places a spike in Jesus' hands. He draws the mallet back, and again and again and again the mallet falls as nails are driven through the hands and feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Blood streams down his face from the cruel crown of thorns that has been crushed upon his brow. For six grueling hours he hangs between heaven and earth. What is he doing? He is paying the cost of salvation and eternal life. When God got ready to create the world, all he had to do was speak and the world came into existence. When God was ready to bring light, all he had to do was say, let there be light. When God got ready to buy eternal life and forgiveness of sin for our sinful souls, he could not do it with the word of his mouth. For salvation costs so much more than creation of this world. That measures the seriousness and the weight and therefore the wrath of God. He had to give his own dear son, to die on Calvary's cross. And he hung there until everyone he knew turned his back against him. Until the world turned as black as the Egyptian midnight and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All that hell is and all that hell will be, Jesus suffered God so loved the world. That's the cause of the gift. And then he gave his only son. That's the cost of the gift. And lastly, in your outline, consider the condition of the gift. It is simply this, that whosoever believes in him should not perish what are you going to do with this gift? If I were to offer you a gift today, if you would simply take it in your hand and walk away with it. Well, you don't take Jesus with your hand, you take Jesus with your heart. What is the condition of this gift? It is faith. By grace are you saved through faith. Whosoever believes in him should not perish. The Bible teaches that you are saved by faith and faith alone. Now he is talking about the act of faith. Faith 
is an action word. It is not talking about intellectual belief. Intellectual belief is not faith. The Bible says that the devils also believe and tremble. The devils believe intellectually in Jesus Christ and they're in hell already. It's not talking about an intellectual belief. It is talking about the belief of commitment, about trusting in, relying on Jesus Christ and Him alone for your salvation, taking your life with all of its sin and all of its problems, with all of its potential, and giving that, your life, to Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, have you ever done that? If you have never done that, you have never met God's condition of salvation and you have not been born again. I don't care how many churches you join, how many times you've been baptized, how virtuous you walk, how eloquently you speak, how beautifully you sing, how magnanimously you give. Unless you have met the condition of saving faith, the Bible teaches you have not been saved. You can combine all of the goodness of Billy Graham, all of the compassion of Florence Nightingale, all of the fervor of the Apostle Paul, all of the love of the Apostle John, the commitment of D.L. Moody, all of the honesty of C.H. Spurgeon, all of the morality of Norman Vincent Peale, all of the courage of John Kennedy, all of the forthrightness of Oliver Wendell Holmes, and all of the patriotism of George Washington, and roll it all into one life. And your life still will not have enough goodness to merit salvation. Salvation is by faith in Jesus alone. If you trust in anything else but Jesus for salvation and eternal life, you are going to die and spend an eternity in a devil's hell. Have you ever met that condition of God? Have you ever by simple faith received Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior? You see, when you simply open your heart to the Lord Jesus and receive him by faith and trust him with your life, Then a divine transformation takes place. He gives you new desires, new powers, a new destiny, and new direction in your life. When he comes into your heart, when he comes into that life, when he comes into that home, into that marriage, he comes into those problems that you face, he makes the difference. He simply waits for you to ask him. The Bible says, whosoever believes in him, you may be young or old, You may be religious or irreligious. You may be good or bad. But this invitation is to you. Everyone is saved exactly the same way. And that's by faith. That surrenders and is with submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. There's no rush out of here. I have a short sermon. Plenty of time. The altars are open. Take advantage. Come and accept God's gift. If you are saved, you can be at your, in your seat. If you are saved, then just come and reaffirm it. If you're not or you're not sure, come and accept this gift. I'm, I'm here and Pastor Bob is here also to pray with you. 
And our prayer is that you respond to his call. We cannot save you. And it doesn't matter who's here. It doesn't matter who sees you. You should know unequivocally that salvation is personal as is damnation. Don't care about anybody else. God's, that is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit's gift lasts forever. No return policy is necessary. Come. Why would you not? If the altar is crowded, stay where you are. Tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, New Year's Eve celebration and service. Pastor Bob will be leading that. It promises to be very good. Bring your unsaved relatives and neighbors. We want to see this church brimming through the, through the, through the doors. Amen.